HR panels, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm. We are here at the McGrath New Office. Man, this feels like Google. I'm looking through the glass, plain brick walls, New York feeling. Reminds me of when I went over and interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, what, when, when did it all happen? Welcome. Uh, no, so we just moved in this week. This week, so moved from Eastcliff, but we were looking for something that was going to be part of the transformation. And we found this space. Um, domain, this domain used to occupy here, so some people from Sydney anyway may have already been familiar with this. This is the ground floor of the domain building. So they've remained upstairs, but they didn't need all the surplus space. So we've come in here, and they did a magnificent job. I think the number was about $4 million in fit out for this, this area. Um, yeah, it's very cool. Very, very cool. So it gives us, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have a nice home like this, and it's new beginning. So... Delighted. And um, what have you been doing the last week? Travelling a lot, John. Travelling a lot. Um, and what inspired us was we missed last week's podcast and uh, Jessica from Lawn System. Mm-hmm. That's how you say it. Lawn System. <laughs> right? When you've been brought up by Greek parents, everything's got to be a little bit harder. Lawn System. Jessica said the last uh, podcast you did was... Um, Finals fever, and I got on the phone straight away to Troy. I said, we've got to get a podcast done. And the podcast, John, I want to do is, I don't know if you remember, when we first started Million Dollar Agent, what um, uh, inspired this was there was a podcast we used to listen to called The Advanced Selling Podcast mm-hmm. by Bill, Bill Kasky. Yeah. Right? I still listen to it. They're still going. And I saw a title of a, a podcast they did a few months ago that said, has personal branding made selling obsolete. So, Bill Kasky, we've plagiarised your heading, and I want to put it in a real estate, real estate context. It's not the first. It's not the first. <laughs> and we've got to apologise to the other 7,000 people. Don't, yeah, Bill, don't feel too special. We've done, we have done this before. Correct. R&D. So, Troy, John, sales, the world that we live in, a salesperson's got an incredible brand in real estate. Let's pick our good friend, Matt Steinway. He's got an incredible brand. So the title of that podcast infers, suggests that if you've got an incredible brand, selling might be obsolete. Doesn't mean that people have already made up their minds they're going with you. So you already have every chance in the world you're going to get it so you don't have to stress too much. Doesn't mean if you're a competitor in the marketplace, Life is going to be really hard because you're competing against a brand and even though you might have every sales strategy in the world, doesn't mean it's going to be difficult to compete. Great subject. I love a subject that doesn't have a clear answer, you know? Yeah, so my my initial response would be no and no. I think that a personal brand is an incredibly important asset and, and um, easier to – well, I'm not saying easier um, – more achievable today than ever before because, you know, you can do what we're doing. You can start a podcast. You can take a video of yourself at a property. Uh, you can punch it out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's never been as achievable to develop a good quality brand as it is today. So you should be doing it. Does that guarantee your business? No. What it does, in my opinion, two things. One is it massively increases the likelihood that you're going to get an invitation to discuss. And that's important because, you know, out of every listing in the community, there's plenty of agents will say, I never got called into that one, that one, that one, that one. The best agents will say, yep, I I actually missed that one and no, I didn't want that piece of business and I landed those four. So 
it gives you a ticket to enter the game, but I don't believe it, it, it wins the game, number one. Number two is I think when you arrive, you arrive, depending on how well you've crafted your brand, as more of an expert. So when Matt Steinway arrived, I mean, Matt's a bit different because he's a legend and most people in that community have experienced his service personally. But when someone that, let's call it an expert in a community that you haven't met yet arrived, you listen to them, Tommy, I think differently. They're coming in, you know, you've been watching a bit of their stuff, you might have even bumped into them, you might have been referred by someone. You want the, the client to be predisposed towards using your service before you meet them. But I don't believe you're going to get to the point where someone walks in and just whatever you do. I think you're still going to win the game, and I think it's dangerous to think, even when you have a strong brand, that you can kind of walk in and it's just like, you know, it's a lay down there. So I think it definitely gets you a ticket to, to treat. I think it definitely has them listen differently, which is why, uh, Troy, you know, for years we used, you know, we got off the back of the first Eric Bob Bowl and pre listing kids, Bob Wolf, you know, pre listing questions, <coughs> because you want to arrive at more expert than you would if nothing happened. So if you ring me up and say, John, can you come to 10 Smith Street and I arrive? Okay, well, that's one thing. If you ring me up and I say, before before you go, Tom, could I just ask you four or five questions to make sure that I can really serve you best when I meet you? And then I courier to you a pre-listing package with a nice letter to it, and I SMS you the morning of the meeting. If I do some things before you meet me, I am more likely to be seen as an expert in my field by you. So that's what I think the personal brand is looking to do. It's positioning you as an expert, as a person of credibility, which is why I bang on all the time, we all do really, about some of the people that go over the top with their social stuff because I think they're thinking, their ego is probably talking and saying, well, I've got to look flash, I've got to look successful, I've got to look bling. Well, in actual fact, I hope the person you're really trying to connect with and, and let's call it impress, for one of the better word, is the customer. Does a customer really want to see you driving around in the big car with the big jewellery on the big holidays with the big this and the big that? Or do they actually want to hear some value add? They want to see humility. They want to see confidence. They want to see, well, hear good advice. So I think some people are kind of thinking they're building their personal brand and, and arguably they're, I think, sabotaging it. Other people are building a really strong credit. And you've done a great job, Tommy, with your personal brand in the, in the learning and education space over the years by giving value. I mean, almost every time I see something that you put out, it's a quote, you know, on Instagram, it's a video, it's a, it's a story, it's an interview. And that's what you need. So if you're an agent, think about what does the customer want, not what is going to make you feel but important. What, but John, what you've just basically said there is everything you do before the day is a pre-listing kit in many ways. Yeah. And I think the book by... Um, he wrote persuade. He wrote persuasion, but then he Chaldini. wrote persuasion. Chaldini. Yeah, Chaldini. Chaldini. Yeah. Chaldini. Yeah. So he talked about the world we live in. There is a fair bit of emphasis being paid to before the sales transaction takes place. So what you're talking about is what real estate agents post on content. In fact, their activity. Um, but are you suggesting that? Well, you're saying two things. One thing you're saying is. Um, you can actually, it's easier than ever to do that, yep. but it's also easier than ever to screw it up. It's easier than ever to do it, whether you do it well or poorly is up to you. Right. Does it mean, does it mean that if you're up against a dominant agent, let's call an agent that's been there for a decade that does good work, does it mean that 
you're at a disadvantage when you go to a listing presentation? No, not at all. You're probably at a disadvantage that you need to get yourself invited there against. So it's up to you to continue to build a great brand. But if you come up against a guru that's got a strong personal brand, the thing that sways the client is still the experience they have while they're in your presence, well, leading up to, and then while they're in your presence and beyond. How do they feel? What were the questions you asked? What was the empathy? Were you actively listening or were you just waiting to speak? That's the stuff that shifts them. So my view is all bets are off when you're in the lounge room because someone will say... It's zero, zero? Zero, ground zero. A lot of agents will say, oh, look, they told me their brother-in-law's an agent, so I knew I was never going to get it. I'm saying, dude, if you're in the lounge room, you've got a chance of getting it. You've got a chance of getting it. Even if it's 10 or 20%. I've been in 10% situations where someone said, look, I'll be really upfront and honest. I think I've really got to use Troy because he's my brother-in-law and it'll be anarchy and I won't be able to sit around a Christmas table. So I don't mind. And I'll say, let me come across. And A, sometimes I won the business. Other times I've said, why don't you have Troy when he do it again? I can I totally respect you feel like you need to do it with Troy and I like Troy. He's a good competitor. Um, but, you know, isn't it about getting the best agent rather than the one that you've got a DNA connection with? So why don't we, why don't we kind of work together? Because also for Troy, he's in a different situation. It's very hard to sell to family and friends. So there might be a benefit in having someone. So I, I think that if you're in the game, you're in the game. Yeah. But the question is, you know, I'm up against Matt Steinway. How do I get in the lounge room? Um, yeah, Matt's brilliant in the lounge room too. Matt's far more than just a great personal brand, as we all know. But how, what can I do in the lounge room against a great? What would John, what would John McGrath, McGrath do in the lounge room? If he was in his third year in real estate, he has five listings, he sold 20 properties last year, yep. and he's up against a real estate agent that's been in the marketplace for 15 years. That agent sold 100 properties last year, and that agent's got 20 properties on the market at the moment. What would John McGrath... So I reckon that, that the resume of the top agent, Tommy, gets them in the door and gets a predisposition to saying, I'll probably use Tom. But I've noticed John, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be interested to see what he has to say. Again, for me, ground zero. We're in there. We're both in it. We yeah. both got a chance. How do I perform in that moment? One is I, I do the research so I'm better prepared mentally than the, the, than the gun agent. Yeah. In terms of my connection with you, I'm there. I, I make sure. Because a lot of gun agents, again, there's a level of ego. There's mm. a level of aloofness. There's a level of I'm pretty busy. can be arrogance. So I'm sitting there with you and I'm saying, you know, the questions are, so yeah, tell, tell me where you're at on this and I'm shutting up and I'm really dragging it out of you. And I've had a really good thing about your property, Tom, and, and I've got five things that I think are bespoke recommendations that I believe are going to put us ahead of the pack. So I have to think about those things. I can't just say that and make them up. So I would over-prepare, I'd out-prepare the leader, guarantee the leader. And you've probably got more time than a dominant agent to do it. Use the time. Before, during, and after, I'd give them more time. I'd, I'd out-prepare, I'd out-listen, um, and I'd probably, to be honest, out-passion them as well. Because, again, the leader, and I understand this, you know, you're in momentum, you're busy, you've got another three listing appointments this afternoon. That kind of brings with a certain energy where it's not. Now, the other thing I've got to be careful is I'm not going to be needy. So you've almost got to have, in a sense, the confidence and calm of the leader but you've got to have the curiosity and enthusiasm of, of the non-leader. So I think you bring those two together and, I mean, I'm going to say leaders get beaten every day. There was a statistic I think I read from Tommy Ferry the other day, Tom, and he said, 
Here's statistics are that like even the best agents in the market only get 60% of their listings. Let's assume that's right because it kind of feels it's probably pretty right. Two out of three, they probably get. That means a third of the business they go for, they don't get. So in the agent's mind, oh, I'm going to come out against the time panels. This is going to be oh, impossible. I'm going to be wasting my time. That negative viewpoint is going to make you one of the two-thirds that misses it. When you say, you know, Tom's just a human being, sure he's a good agent, I totally respect him, but I'm going to out-prepare, out-listen, and out-passion him in this moment, and then I'm going to do it again next time and again next time. So it's the old Avis, we try harder. We're number two, we try harder. The other side, John and Tom, that I always notice is a lot of agents don't know what their competitors' strengths are. Yeah, like I think that's an important part. When you're talking about out-preparing your competition, you really need to understand what are they really good at? Tom, if they're the biggest agent and they've got the most dominant market share, well, that might be an advantage to them. But the advantage to me is that I've got more time. I can be at every single open. By the way, on Saturday, I'm going to open your property twice. Why? Because I love it more. There's a number of different ways that your strengths can be so, so away from theirs. Yeah. Do you suggest that one of the things you do is highlight your strengths that you have a feeling the other competitor can't replicate? and maybe identify, without being specific, some of the weaknesses of not going with you, i.e., Mr. and Mrs. Bendor, I've got five listings that I work on at any one time and I choose that I could provide a far better service than if I had 15. Yep. Does that sort of put an embryo of thought into that client? Yep. And I I think, Tom, the... uh yeah, no, I, I agree. Troy, you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you've got to be careful because under no circumstances should you or you should you be seen as denigrating competition. Mm. But I think you can turn around and say, Tom, look, I only sold 20 properties last year, which I'm proud of. It's only my second year in real estate. I'm really excited about the future. But I didn't sell 50. But I want to let you know why the 20 people told me they chose me amongst many other options they could have made, including people that have been very successful in this community in the past. Here's what they told me. So that's that's you know what Cialdini would call you know third person social proof. Yeah. So rather than me saying, well, here's why I'm a better option, I'm saying here's why these customers told me they chose me because I said to Tom, you know, so he had some great options. Some people that are very that are doing better than me at the moment. Can I ask you why? Well, you know, we felt you kind of you, you spent more time with us. We felt your recommendations were more bespoke and personal, whereas the others kind of just gave us a tick list of things that they probably do every single time. You rang us back quickly, you recommended these things. So I think that using social proof is a better way than saying, well, of course, with me, I'm not going to be like a factory and you know, a lot of other agents out there, they're doing 12 opens on a weekend. Because they kind of, you don't have to be a neurosurgeon to work out who they're talking about. And then it feels like you're having a show across the bow. And I don't think under any circumstance should you ever be seen as directly um, critiquing your competition. No, not at all. You can't do. You cannot do that, and you should not do that. Um, but the awareness piece is where I think the most incredible amount of learning will happen for you as an individual. So if you're aware of what they're really good at, then you're going to hone on your strengths. Yeah. So having that awareness, and John actually plays into a couple of other pillars of influence from Cialdini when he talks about social proof as one of his key pillars. He also the consistency and the authority pillars are also big value adds in his uh, in his, in his six pillars. His, his authority comes from personal brand and the consistency of doing things every time right with every vendor you deal with. Those twenty exact examples of the past clients you've got in the first twelve months of doing business. That's a great way to display that to your potential client. That's gold. This is actually an inspiring podcast. If you're listening to, uh, if, if you're a 
a listener that isn't the dominant agent because what's come out of it is we're saying, number one, it's a better time than ever to build your personal brand due to the low entry social media platforms available. Number two, um, it's also uh, got to be done carefully because it can actually backfire because you can actually have a very bad brand because of those things. But probably the most important thing is you're saying, John, is if you're in the room, you're in with a chance, so you've got to let go of thinking, I'm coming last here. This has got to just be lucky for me to get it. You've got to have a mindset that I'm in here with a chance, otherwise... I think beyond that, I think I'm in here with an equal chance. Yeah, right. Once you're in the lounge room, if you're not in the lounge room, that means you didn't earn the right to get in there. So you need to do some work on your personal brand, your prospecting, your attraction strategy. Once you're in there, I think you've got to walk in. It's now game on. Everyone is like on an equal footing. And if I'm the most impressive person they meet, they will start to quickly forget the stuff that they had heard prior and they're going to start making a decision based on that. Now, if everyone's about the same, they'll probably default to the person that they thought, well, Tom's kind of the market leader, he's a safe bet, he seems to you know, get most of the, the business around here. I've got to say, I'm not going to mention the name of the market because the agent said to me, I'll tell you what my point of difference is. He's picked up 20% market share in his third year real estate <coughs> against the dominant agent. He said... Tom, I don't want you, I don't want to say it in the gym. I said, no problems. I said, I want to hear what it is. He goes up and he says to the vendors, young guy, about 25, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, the other thing I'd like to do, and if it's okay with you, would it be possible that you have the home looking very good for me between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Sunday? The reason why is that we've noticed that some of our most emotional buyers that pay a 10% premium seem to be occupied doing other things on Saturdays. And I don't want to miss the opportunity with any of those right. guys. And what I'd like to do is, if you engage me, I'd like to say that that is an expectation that I have of my vendors. And he says to me that that line moves vendors towards him. Brilliant. And you bolt a few more like that on, yep. and you're winning the game. I love that dialogue. The, the other thing, Tom, is I think by definition, most market leaders, they're not up to speed with a lot of the labels because they're a little bit older. Yeah. You know, they're kind of 40 plus, 50 plus, not 20 or 30 plus. So I think, again, if you're out there and you're relatively new to the industry, it probably means you're younger than the market leaders. I see that as an advantage for you because most market leaders are not up to speed with social media and a lot of the video stuff. Yeah, and they should be. So, yeah, well, hopefully that gives some boost yes, ideas. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, fantastic, great new office. Look forward to our listeners. We're coming back to you next week with podcast 231, and I'm looking forward to doing a subject which I know John's passionate about, and that is extreme standards. Troy walked into this room. He said, talk about extreme standards. That's coming up next week. Thank you. See you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you.